Hello, 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 hello again. Thanks for joining us. This is Chris Snowden. You're watching the Swift Half with Snowden, the fortnight, fortnightly half hour chat show, shall we call it? I don't know. We're here, we're here to illuminate anyway and to help us illuminate things this week. I'm delighted to introduce Angela Knight, who has a very uh, extensive CV, which I won't go all the way through, but uh, she was an MP during the Thatcher Major years, economic secretary to the Treasury. She's also been at the Office of Tax Simplification. Um, uh, but I'd mainly like to talk to her um, because she was the CEO of Energy UK between uh, 2012 and 2014. And this is, of course, the most pressing issue, I think most people would agree, facing the country at the moment. So Energy UK is a trade association for the various retail energy companies in Britain. Angela, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Good morning. So can you tell us very simply what's going on with the energy market? You know, it isn't simple because there's so many things going on. So good question. I'll try and do my best. I mean, one of the main problems that we have at the moment is that the world price of gas is high. It's high for two reasons. I mean, firstly, because it's simply that demand is greater than supply consequent upon economic recoveries post the post the um, lockdown and the pandemic. And secondly, because of the consequences of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, because Russia is such a big gas supplier and particularly to Europe, not particularly to the UK of course, but particularly to Europe, that the European sanctions against Russia has resulted in effect with Russia more or less turning off that gas supply to Europe. So put it all together and the mix says you've now got a very high global price for gas. And we use gas for central heating, but gas is also used for producing electricity, for electricity generation. And as one looks ahead to the winter where demand gets higher, so those global uh, prices have been going up. I'm hopeful though, that we will start to see a stabilization at some point because reserves are getting full. Gas doesn't, you know, it's starting to come from other places as that price has, you know, made it attractive to import from other places. Um, and also because in some respects, you've almost got countries fighting against each other for the gas. And that's not helpful. And there's some international discussions taking place now. But really, the, the winner at the moment is Putin on his economic war, but unfortunately also on a psychological war because look how worried people have got. You know, he's he's right up there with the winners and that's a very bad place for it to be. Can we just quickly define what we mean by the global price of gas? Because I think yeah. some people have a bit of misunderstanding about oh, that. Yeah. That's, that's a, basically an average price, isn't it? Because I mean, the pr price of natural gas in America is much lower than it is in, in yes. Europe and it's probably lower in Australia perhaps than it is in Europe. No, it, it, it's a very fair point. And I probably used the word rather too loosely because America is, of course, not only self-sufficient, but it's also an exporter. And if you are self-sufficient, you know, you're not out there demanding more gas. So, of course, it does mean that your home price is rather different. Uh, we pull about 50 percent of our gas out of the North Sea. We have long term contracts with Norway, the Norwegian part of the North Sea. And we do import in the LPG, that's liquefied petroleum gas, but we only bring in about 10, max 15%. So in some respects, we are 
more self-sufficient. We're not self-sufficient, but you know, we've got our supplies there. Um, so the part of the market um, that to us is global is that you've got all the European countries wanting gas, you've got Japan playing in the same market and ourselves. We, that, that, that collectively is a very big block of gas consumers. And so it's these countries really who are driving that gas price up as much as anybody else. And one thing I hear some people sort of say or ask is, well, if we're secure with our own energy in the UK and we're pumping about half of it from the North Sea, that's ours. So why, why can't we just keep hold of that and, and ignore the, the, the rest of the world? Yes, uh, I know it would be very nice if we could actually insulate ourselves, but uh, we can't. As I say, we get half out of the North Sea. I wouldn't be at all surprised if this winter that half doesn't start to increase because um, more wells, you know, that previously have perhaps been too expensive to operate start to get operated. So I wouldn't be surprised, if, as I say, if we brought out more, but the, we, there's, there's, a, there's a place that we need to get to, which is generating more of our electricity from other sources, not gas. We need to do something about our overall gas consumption, which is insulation, so that if you bung some of these measures together, you're not going to be able to do it this winter, and it's going to take a few years, but that starts to bring us much more in control of our own um, resources. But those companies that are pulling oil and gas out of the, our part, if you like, of the North Sea, these are big international companies. You know, they're pulling out gas and oil around the world. So when some people say, well, why can't you just, you know, take their profits? The answer is we're actually taxing at what, 65% now? That yeah. part of their profits that we can get at, which is high, and getting commitments from them to continue to invest uh, either in additional drilling uh, or in um, wind farms or the like, or both. So we've made some really good steps in that direction. But it, it, the, I think, you know, it is, it is not hindsight just to say, we should have started thinking about this 10 years ago. It is in fact the reality, because 10 years ago, um, and as you rightly said, I was 2012, 2014, I was in fact the first chief executive to pull together, I was hired to pull together uh, a number of trade associations into Energy UK. All the focus at that time, you know, political um, focus, external focus, was all about build the wind farm, shut down the coal, head for a much lower uh, carbon mix. And there's nothing wrong with that, but what it never looked at was A, the transition period. You know, how do you get from A to B? Because wind is uh, intermittent. You've got to have your backup there. And secondly, it was always predicated on the fact that gas prices would be low. So that normal stress testing did not take place. And that is why we are now behind the curve. But that doesn't mean there's, that you can do nothing, but we are behind the curve. And one aspect that we could do something about, perhaps two, one is, both of them are technical. One is um, decouple the price of gas from the price of electricity. And I'll explain in a moment what I mean by that. And secondly, is actually, what do we mean about the gas content that we pull out of the natural uh, out of the North Sea? Does it have to be actually 
in high natural gas percentage as it is at the moment. So let me explain what I mean. The way that electricity, our wholesale price of electricity is, um, is um, decided is like this. Think of a pool in which every generator in the country is connected to that pool, whether it's nuclear, whether it's onshore wind, offshore wind, solar, gas generators, or even, you know, uh, uh, an offshore wind, I've got offshore wind, anything you like, all connected to that pool. Now, at different times of the day, the demand is different. And um, a National Grid or an offshoot of National Grid decides what the demand is. So know the demand, and then the number of generators required to produce that demand come on to the pool. But the pool price, which is set about every half hour, is on the last generator that joins, which is the most expensive. And that determines the pool price. At the moment, it's gas. So, you know, some of those, those renewables, and certainly the nuclear, can produce at a much cheaper price, but they get the gas price. Alter the algorithm, in fact, split the pool into a low carbon pool and everything else. Uh, alter the algorithm, and that could give us a 20% reduction in our wholesale price of electricity. That's some of the technicalities that can be addressed quickly and need to be addressed quickly. So what, what is the logic behind that system? Because I know the EU are looking at, 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 at doing what you, you say, I think, basically mm. there, which is to decouple this. What's yeah. the justification for having it in that way in the first place so that the, the, the yeah. most expensive energy is the, the set price, effectively? Because it was supposed to be the green energy. So therefore, what by doing when, the, when the, um, the algorithms were set, and you're absolutely right, it's reflected across European pools in a similar manner, because of course, we're all part of the same uh, market and the same discussions. The, um, the new energy, you know, the low carbon energy, the wind farms and so on, when they started, it was all pretty expensive stuff. So the algorithm was set so that the wind farm got the higher price um, by, that, by that process. Since that algorithm was set, the cost of offshore wind particularly has come down, onshore winds come down, um, and so they can generate at now a lower cost, the price of gas has gone up. So what had been set on the assumption that the minority producer would just get, you know, would, would get the money it needed is now in a situation where uh, there is a huge distortion and we're paying very significantly more than we should be for our wholesale price of electricity. Vitally important, dare I say it, for industry, because industry is the big electricity user. You know, you can argue that we domestic are the bigger gas users, but industry is the big electricity user. So there's a whole piece of technicality there, which will, I'm sure, cut through some contracts, but not all of them, because a lot of those um, low carbon um, uh, farms, the offshore and onshore, uh, have a guaranteed price. So it would cut through them. Um, the, we're in a, a situation in which real strong force majeure measures need to be made uh, and need to be taken. And that's one of them. Sort that out. I'm just trying to think through this. So at the moment, something like wind obviously would be cheaper than gas. So we buy the wind at whatever the, the, the wind price is, as it were. Yeah. We buy the gas at whatever the gas price is. But given that 
the wind companies will know that people or governments or whatever are, or their energy retailers are prepared to pay the the gas price wouldn't they just put their price up to whatever they know people will pay most of, <clears throat> most of the wind <clears throat> excuse me most of the wind the last six seven years maybe slightly more um, has been funded by by a mechanism which is known as the contract for difference um, and inside the contract contract for difference there's something called a strike price and that strike price is the guaranteed price and what that means is that if the pool price is um, lower than the strike price, then they get a subsidy up to the strike price. If the pool price is higher than the strike price, then they pay back. So there's a whole chunk of wind that actually right now has a strike price, possibly at half that which the pool price is. So again, you've got a sort of nonsense because it's not paying back that one wants, it's a lower pool price. Then the other uh, electricity, big chunk of electricity that's around is, of course, nuclear, which has been with us for a long, long time. And the nuclear, they're old girls and they just keep going. And they can therefore produce, because they're 40 years, they're producing at a, uh, at a, a lower cost because, of course, the capital cost has been written off. So you're right, you're right to flag that there are issues, but I don't think the issues are as great as people pretend they are. I think there's a certain element here of defending a status quo. And that is actually something that we simply should not do. If um, we go back to particular, pick up the actual point, particular point that you're saying, um, the, what I would suggest to you is, the, is if we had a, let's call it a low carbon pool, the highest price of the low carbon pool would be the highest strike price that's ever been agreed. And then you've got the carbon pool, which is gas and a couple of coals, and that would be dependent on what is happening in the gas market. But, you know, what would we get? Probably about 50%, maybe 40% out of one of the pools and 50 or 60% out of the other pool. One lot of it is significantly lower than the other lot. Well, you know, you can do the maths. The answer is your overall price of electricity will come down. And that is what is being talked about when they're talking about decoupling the um, price of gas from the price of electricity. Because it's only if you've been in the weeds like I was, that you, you, know, you know that you've got this pool system operating. And I do hope, and actually I do believe that actually, you know, inside government, or maybe I should say inside the, the two big departments of state, which have a locus on this, which is the treasury, and the business department, there are people working on this right now. But I do worry, as I've just said before, that they'll come out and they'll say, oh, too difficult. Nothing has to be put into a too difficult box at the moment. Right. And what do you think we should have been doing 10, 15 years ago? Because obviously you're right, you know, people in government told no. me very similar to what, what you were saying, that, you know, we're going to make this dash for net zero, we're going to close no. down the fossil fuel power stations, and if we fall a bit short with net zero, we'll just build some gas ones because they're very cheap and, and getting gas in is very cheap. Obviously, that you know, we've seen the flaw in that plan now. Um, yeah. What should we be, we've been doing, you know, 10, 15 years ago? More fracking, more nuclear, or what? More, more yes, renewables? Yes, I, I actually, actually both. First of all, <clears throat> we should have been doing a proper scientific fracking trial. Fracking has got very, very emotional. And you've got people in, you know, the 
over my dead body camp on that because there have been issues in uh, America because the States has been a big fracker and it's done some of it badly, but it certainly hasn't done all of it badly. And so we should have that proper, you know, sensible, clear scientific trial. I actually think that can still go ahead. I appreciate we're behind, but, but you know, the fact that the, the horse has bolted, but it's not out of sight, you know, we, we should do that. On the nuclear, well, often people think of nuclear as just these huge, great power stations, which cost billions to build and take sort of 10 years plus, and they start to overrun. And so your 10 years becomes 12 years and so on and so on. There are small scale nuclear reactors. Rolls-Royce has, has developed them. Rolls-Royce, of course, has, has, has um, been heavily engaged uh, in nuclear for years, you know, just the nuclear. Um, nuclear for submarines and things like that. So um, the small scale nuclear uh, power stations have got a number of benefits. One is they're repeatable. So you're doing the same design, you know, one after the other. You're not doing a sort of a one-off big ones all the time. The second is that you can build them in two two-ish years for two-ish billion. Now two-ish billion is still a hell of a lot of money but it makes it investable by the private sector, pension funds, investment funds, global funds, that sort of thing. Uh, whereas when you're talking about the 20 billion one-off 10 years station, it's going to take you a long time to get your money back. And you know that's a heavy upfront cost. So they tend to have to go off government balance sheets. Yeah. So you've got something that is repeatable, it's small, you can do it quickly. You can do it at a price um, and a speed that makes it investable by the private sector seems to me to be a bit of a no-brainer. And rather than you know, put them in new places, so you then have to alter the grid and all that sort of thing, you put them on the places where existing nuclear power stations uh, are, either the ones that are still running or the ones which are closing down, because the grid's already been built there. Um, there's, there's, again, there's been a big sort of emotional reactions which say you know all all about anti-nuclear and i don't think one should put any of these emotional reactions to one side whether it is fracking whether it is nuclear or whatever but one has to deal with it sensibly clearly scientifically with a plan and i'm afraid the plan piece has been the piece that is missing uh, for so long and we'll just build another gas-fired power station is not an answer to a question um, uh, the, the, the question is far more about how you carefully get from A to B and the various stages in place. That gives confidence, that stops panic, and that makes what you're doing investable, which is very, very critical. Interesting. Well, let's, let's bring things up to the present day because we are where we are. How are we going to get through the next six months? Have we actually got any power stations, be it coal or whatever, that we can revive? Uh, uh, over the course of the yes. winter quite quickly. Yeah, we've got two coal ones and they right. need to they need to carry on. Um, Where are they? Uh, they're they're um, uh, in the Midlands area. And um, my understanding is that there are discussions taking place with them. That's only what I've heard. So I'm sort of relaying um, secondhand information. But self-evidently, if anything that we've got in the way of coal this winter we will need to burn because we're connected as you know by interconnectors 
um, and has historically imported a certain percentage of our electricity, predominantly from France, but we can take a bit from Belgium as well. But France is in difficulties. France has got about half its power stations down for maintenance, but also because there's a structural problem. So the, the, the chances are that France, who is the big exporter of electricity in Europe, well, it will be hard pushed to export this winter. So that's another reason why we need to uh, we need to have running everything that we can possibly keep running, because right at the top of the list has got to be keep everything going. It's got to be, you know, our energy security. I appreciate that that comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. You can't have everything. I think there's something, though, that um, needs to be in the psyche, both of people and of business. And it's called, can I actually reduce my own personal consumption or my business consumption of gas and electricity? And some of that is, you know, the bit about turning down the thermostat and turning off the lights. And although it sounds trite and motherhood and apple pie and all those sorts of things and a bit condescending, there's nevertheless, there is something we actually do need to think about and do need to do. And government will have to come out and provide more in the way of financial assistance, particularly to the, the uh, older parts of the population and also those who are on welfare. They've done some steps, so there's more, they need to do more. And there's some serious thinking on, on back on industry. What do we do about industry? Because they do not have any caps or subsidies. Uh, there's the big energy users, there's, um, there's, there's, there's something there for them. But you know, we've all heard about the pubs and the shops and the small businesses. So there's a question mark there, what's going to happen? I don't have an answer and I don't know, you could do it two ways. One is you could actually do something for them in terms of their price. And I have to say, what my point about the electricity pool is one thing that you can do. Uh, there's another that seems to be run around, which says don't do it off energy, do it off business rates. There's not much time left to come to some serious decisions on that. And to my mind, those decisions need to be made in the next couple of weeks, get the new leader in place, the work's been done in the Treasury, make the decision, go for it. Yes, indeed. I mean, I, I think that you're right. That, that is where the, the biggest problem lies is with business. And yet bailing out every business that uses energy this, yeah. this winter is simply unaffordable, as far as I can see. I mean, we've, we've pushed the envelope what's affordable mm. with COVID, of yeah. course. And it's hard to completely ignore the, the legacy of COVID with this because you've got the government dishing out money to literally every every household in the country. Everyone's getting £400 plus a council tax. Yeah. If you've got two homes, you get £800. Um, my view is that for the with, with the new energy cap in um, and looking ahead to winter and keeping our fingers crossed that things don't get too much worse is that you know clearly people on, on low incomes are going to need support, but we shouldn't be dishing out support to people on average incomes um, and certainly not not to the rich and then we need to look at what we can do with, with businesses but like you I'm I'm uh, yeah I find it very difficult to think of anything that seems economically viable yeah. well, what do you I think, think of the the no. I mean you mentioned you mentioned France there uh, which seems yeah. to me an object lesson in what not to do because mm. they've essentially frozen prices as you say we are going to need to reduce our energy consumption there's no two ways about yeah. it they haven't reduced their energy consumption in France. I think they're using exactly the same as they did last year, if not a bit more. Uh, plus, they've got these problems with their own nuclear reactors. And so you've got the prime minister 
basically begging people to use less energy without really giving them any incentive to do so uh, other than threatening them with rationing, which may well happen. So yeah. you've got to let the price signal, you know, we call it a price signal for a reason. It is telling us something. It's telling us to produce more and to use less. And we've been a bit, the government here seems to me a little bit inconsistent in its messaging on reducing consumption. I mean, we've got the, the price rise, um, which should, should be enough to motivate most people. But there's something in the Times a few days ago in which uh, I can't remember who it was saying it, but they basically said, don't worry, we've got plenty of energy, we're not gonna run out, and we're not gonna start telling people to use less of it. But if we do get in that position, we're gonna start sending vans out with loud hailers going down the street, telling people to use less energy. Uh, well, just tell people to use less energy now. You know, the whole of Europe needs to use 10, 15% less less energy um so i don't know what my question is there but i mean <laughs> what, well, what, do, I mean, what do you think in terms of just supporting households i hope you would agree yeah. with me that macron's got it got it wrong yeah. there oh, um, macron, would you macron, agree macron we, we need to focus on the the least well off and, and yeah let everybody else you know. i'm afraid that there's a whole load of us who are just going to have to suck it up we've just yeah. got to recognize that um you know prices come up prices go down there is inflation inflation will come down that you can't say that people have got a right, you know, to only pay a certain amount for certain things and their livelihood and all that sort of thing. So going to have to, we are going to have to suck it up. I was interested that uh, Nadim Sahawi sort of was putting a line in the sand at, um, I think, about £50,000, something like that, as an annual income, which is actually pretty high. That's and he was, high, saying, yeah. help, he was saying helping people up to that. Let, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of ideas out there well, there's one. There's a couple of ideas out there which, broadly speaking, I think are in the right place. Um, before I do that, I'm just going to pick up France because I've had France raise with me a number of times, saying, "Oh, well, they've only got a four percent rise in electricity." They have, but at the same time, they've bust their energy company, so it's now completely on the state. They've got a huge maintenance bill, and they've got to do new build. There are only three groups who can pay for all this. One's called the consumer, the other's called the taxpayer, and the third's called part the consumer and part the taxpayer. All that has happened in France is you've shifted it, you know, from, from the consumer onto the taxpayer. The taxpayer's going to have a really lousy time in France for the way that they have dealt with it. So the, the, the sort of ideas that, 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 to me, start to make sense are the ones which the suppliers have been put forward, have been putting forward. Now, the suppliers, of course, they're not making any money, as we all know. They're, um, they're, they are not... Not everybody does food. know that. A lot of people seem to think they're getting incredibly rich off this and profiteering. The, but the, ones who, right. the ones who are getting rich are the ones who are pulling the oil and gas yeah. out of the ground. And as I said at the start, we're taxing them big time, that which we can get our arms around. The suppliers themselves are not making any money. And that, you don't just have to look at a supplier's account for that. Uh, the regulator has um, usefully packaged it all up and shows that, you know, it's somewhere between plus 1% and minus 1%, i.e. that's a break even. It's, it's a really tricky situation. The proposition that they put up, which might actually work, is, uh, is a, a form of buffer fund. So they say, we'll hold the price of energy at X. We may be able to, because you know we're, we're buying forward and all that sort of thing, we may be able to at least take some of that cost on ourselves, but what we can't, we go into this buffer fund. The buffer fund 
is put together by um, the uh, banking industry, underpinned by government. So it is in effect a series of soft loans. And then you decide, you know, what X is and whether you taper it or not. Now I would taper it. I would say, you know, okay, um, depending where you are in the uh, in your tax band, it's probably the easiest way of doing it. Depends how much of this low price or held price of gas and energy that you get. But the point about that is this, is that it's not, you know, a bung straight out of the, the out of taxpayers' money into consumers. Um, and the important reason saying don't, you know, got to be careful doing that is, you know, the pound's already going down the floor, inflation's going up. You know, we have to find ways which don't bust our public finances and don't fuel inflation. So if all you're saying to government, backstop loans from the banking industry, so we have a effectively a soft loan, a, a secure from the bank, low interest loan, which suppliers can dip into. And, you know, as things stabilize, we can sort out how we pay it back. To my mind, that is a pretty good proposition. As I say, you know, then I would make sure that the poorer elements got it and, you know, the, the, the wealthier elements didn't. That is, if you like, the political decision, the practical decision is that one. Um, and I hope, I, I know it's been battered away once when it seemed sort of, you know, all embracing, but it's come back again onto the table in the Treasury in a slightly different format, which is much better tapered, much better targeted. And I, you know, that should be taken seriously. The, the piece that I'm unsighted on is the ease of implementation, because we're now in September. We get cold, you know, we start to get cold in November. In fact, we can get cold at the end of October, which means that whatever is going to be done, um, for, and, you know, we're, we're still on the, the poor ends of society and the older parts of society, whatever is going to be done has got to be done in a simple mechanism not one that's going to, you know, be terribly complicated. Mm -hmm. And I'm unsighted as to whether, you know, using a tax system in the way uh, that I've suggested, you know, whether it can be. I think it can, but, you know, and then it can be done quickly. But if it can't, then, yes, build up for the future. But, there, but what will happen for this winter can only be some additional help, you know, through... Um, um, either uh, welfare, well, welfare payments, one way or the other, you know, pensions and um, social security. And just quickly, because we're running out of time, I'd like to end on an optimistic note, if we can. I have seen a few energy analysts being a bit more optimistic in, in, in recent days. I've seen some of them even saying that Putin can turn off the taps completely and it's not going to make any difference now. Loads of LNG coming in coal and nuclear what have you have been been re revived uh is it possible that gas prices have, have peaked already in this well, it, kind of recent panic it, it is possible because gas prices have just come down uh the last i appreciate it's two or three days but you know that's um uh that's that's still indicative when you know over the last if we've had two or three days when all they've done is gone up so they have gone down um they have, they have started to come down um the reserves uh, in Europe, they are filling up. So that's good. That starts to ease the panic. Um, Germany has not got any uh, LNG ports. It's got that's liquefied natural gas ports where it can gasify the 
liquid uh, gas that comes in and the tankers. We've been gasifying it and shoving it down the pipeline, but it's building them. You know, it's 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 working how to do uh, working out how to do it. And Germany itself, which is where some of the biggest problems lie, of course, has now started to get its plan in place, which is going to be dramatically unpopular. But at least it's got a plan in place who it's going to restrict if it has to restrict what it's going to do about public buildings. And there's a whole long list. So if the panic is over, that's the point at which things settle down. I'm hopeful too that the great panic is over. I think that when we've got a plan here and others have got plans, other European countries, that also eases the panic. It doesn't mean that the price came roaring down to where it was before all this started. But, you know, uh, if, if we can bring it down, it's come down by about 25% from the peak. If we can get down another 25%, we're looking at a far more rational future than we've been frightened about for this last, you know, two, three months. Brilliant. Well, fingers crossed. Absolutely fascinating talking to you, Angela. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you at home for joining us as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Until then, take care. Thank you in particular if you're a donor to the IEA. If you're not and want to become one, go to iea.org.uk slash donate or patreon.com slash IEA London. Take care. We'll see you next time and goodbye.